You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, amen, and it's great to have you here. Uh, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. And if you're visiting with us today, and uh, maybe as your first time, and you thought, I wonder what they believe at that church. Well, you just sang it. You just heard it. Um, I love that about this church, not hiding anything. Let's, let's tell people who we are, what we're about, and what we believe. And uh, we're just going to take some more of God's word in our text today and walk through it and, and see what the Lord has for us and uh, what we can learn uh, from his word. We're uh, continuing in our series, The Rock Won't Move, uh, three more messages as we finish up this series on First Peter. And... Um, Kind of mixed emotions for me because I've so appreciated what God has taught me in it. But um, we know that the rock that doesn't move wasn't Peter. Uh, he wiggled and moved and slithered all over the place, as, as do we in our walk. Um, the rock that doesn't move is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. That's where our confidence is. And today, as we get into 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 to 11, we're going to take a look at a message that's entitled, Living with the End in Mind. Living with the End in Mind. Do you ever notice how much you worry about things that never happen? Uh, I, got, I, got, I got this thing coming tomorrow and you're all worried about it. I got to go talk to this person. I'm not sure how it's going to work out or, or I've got this test or this opportunity and you spend way too much time worrying about it. At the end of the day, it, it, it turns out okay. Um, they say 95% of the things we worry about never happen. Now, this message today is really about living for today, living today in light of what is coming in eternity. But that's not the way our world works. In our world, we spend our time worried about what we can have and what we can get and how much more we can attain. And we're always scheming and conniving to figure out how I can just get a little bit more or just have a little bit more. And really what we're called to is faithfulness today in light of what is coming for the follower of Jesus Christ. And I think we see a lot of that as we get into our text today. Um, if I was to take today's uh, message and put it into one sentence, it would be this. Faithful today with our eyes on eternity. Faithful today with our eyes on eternity. Well, you get your Bibles open because that's really what's important. And uh, so let's stand together. We want to honor God as I read his word. First Peter 4, 1 to 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And though judged in the flesh, the way, um, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, uh, this is your word. How amazing it is that you protected it and cared for it and, and gave it to us so that we could stand together in this place today and read the truth of what you have for us. Teach us, God. Father, break us of ourselves today as we take a look at some things, Lord, and Father, zero in on the thing in my heart, in each heart in this room, to what we need to learn and, and then, Lord, what we need to do. Give us a, a mind that would understand Give us ears, God, that are willing to hear. And then, God, give us hearts that are passionate to live out for the fame of the name Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name because the work is finished. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, one of the leadership gurus of our day would say this. There's a blank, I believe, in your notes for this. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And when you talk about leadership and you talk about influence and you talk about uh, so much of that, that's true. There is a reality that the way we approach things, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's all about our attitude. Um, Is attitude everything? Well, no, but attitude sure is critical. And we're going to take a look at some attitudes today. It was important enough that uh, Dr. James McDonald uh, made a series that was entitled, Lord, Change My Attitude. Uh, the way we approach things, the way we handle things, the way that we live our lives. Um, what's the attitude we have? What's the passion we have? What are we, what are we going after? And out of the text today, I want to take a look at five attitudes. Five attitudes that will help us in our walk to live faithfully today with our eyes on eternity. Five attitudes that will help you live faithfully today with our eyes on eternity. The first one is the attitude of commitment. The attitude of commitment is found in verses 1 and 2, but uh, first one first. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Forever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We kind of like the first part of that verse. Uh, we understand how hard it was and how difficult it was and what the Lord went through, at least as best we can, uh, since therefore Christ suffered. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand without the suffering of Christ, there is no salvation. Without the finished work of Christ, there's nothing for us. We are hopeless people separated from God and there's nothing we can do about it. We can't earn that relationship. We don't deserve that relationship. And so... We rally around the fact that Christ suffered. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again so that redemption could be accomplished and could be applied to our lives. And we kind of like that. We, We feel good about that. Not the painful part for Jesus, but the reality that he did it for us. We kind of cozy up to that. And we tend to not cozy up so much to the next part of the verse where he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He's talking about our commitment. In Philippians 1, 21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Many followers of Jesus Christ are defeated in our battle against sin because we refuse to sacrifice anything in the battle. 
We want that cuddle up piece with what Jesus did for us, but we don't want the sacrifice piece. We don't want the commitment piece. We don't want that I need to step out and live my life for the fame of the name of the one who died for me. It says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wait a minute, pastor, are you saying that you're sinless? Anyone who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin? Are you saying that you don't sin? No, I'm not saying that. I don't believe that's what the text is saying. Some people would think that maybe that is talking about Jesus. Um, The problem is it didn't say that he, it said whoever, whoever. It's talking about the process of sanctification. It's talking about growing up in Jesus Christ. It's talking about when you've gone through some stuff and you understand what Christ has accomplished for you, your hatred of sin is growing and your love for Christ is growing and your desire to stay as far away from sin as possible, it becomes the heartbeat of your life. Uh, the picture of sanctification is this. It's, I'm not yet what I will be. Someday we're going to be glorified bodies in heaven with the Lord, worshiping in worship. That'll leave what we just did. It'll be lame compared to what we're going to have in heaven. I'm not what I will be. I'm not even yet what I should be because God is still growing me up. He's still helping me. When I trip and stumble, I get up and I move forward in my walk. I'm not what I will be. I'm not what I even should be, but I'm not what I was. I'm not what I was. Sin that used to be so easily taking over in my life, that doesn't happen anymore because God is growing me up and my love for him and my hatred for sin. And more and more every day, I'm not like I used to be. I'm not like I used to be. And one day, one day, we'll be with him in glory What an amazing hope. In the text, it talks about um, the will of God. For us to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. Is that your heartbeat today? As you came to Harvest Bible Chapel this morning, um, was it, you know, I want what God wants for me. That's what I want. Uh, We tend to think about the will of God being so much about like what school do I go to or who do I marry or, or, you know, should I buy a Mazda or should I buy a Honda? We we look at the will of God in those things and there's nothing wrong with seeking God's direction in those things, but what is the will of God for you? God's will for you is your sanctification. It's that you would grow up in Christ. Um, God's will here is that we would uh, flee from sin, that it wouldn't be part of us. It wouldn't dominate in our lives. We'd be growing up in him. And people who have suffered for righteousness sake have a passion for purity. And it's obvious that the cost that they've gone through is great. And they love Jesus so much. They want to be more and more like him every day and less and less like they used to be. Is that your heart? Is that your passion today? I want to be more like Jesus today. I want to be more like him. See, it's tough for us, I think, in North America. Not the suffering. That's not tough for us. Because we don't do any. We don't experience it very much. People over in the Middle East and in Africa and other places of the world, in China, uh, they understand what it costs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they understand what it means to suffer. And when they suffer for righteousness' sake, their passion and their heart is to be like Jesus. 
For us in North America, it looks different. For us in North America, we're more concerned about, well, what will people think about me? Well, what will they think? And that's our idea of suffering. Somebody might think I'm a geek or a nerd or a jerk for following Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh, woe is me. I don't want anybody to think that. I want everybody to think things, nice things about me. I want everybody to be my friend. I want everybody to be, and we don't really understand what suffering is. And we're so, we're so wrapped up in our comfort and the things we have. What will people think? What will they call me? If I really declare who I am in Christ, what are people going to say? They're going to call me some kind of, you're some kind of a Bible thumper, aren't you? You're one of those guys. You're one of those born againers, aren't you? Um, I've used this illustration before, but I remember when a Christian friend said to my son, who's the um, youth director at Harvest in Oakville, he said, you guys are so bibliocentric. That's the greatest compliment he could have paid to my son. He thought that was a negative thing. Carl's like, yes, I am. You better believe I am. But we get wrapped up in what will people think and what might they say about me? If I really declare who I am in Jesus Christ, um, some people who are my friends now might not be my friends down the road because they'll see things in me that either cause them conviction or they don't want to have anything to do with There might be some antagonism, some blowback at work because I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to do the wrong business deal. I'm I'm not going to cheat on an exam at school. I'm not going to stab my friend in the back. I'm not going to do those things. Maybe our stand for Jesus Christ in our society might uh, cause us some money. It might mean you don't get the promotion that you think you deserve. But you're going to be faithful to Christ first, regardless of what it costs. Maybe it'll make for some unpleasant encounters with family. And uh, you might not be on their Christmas card list anymore. Or they'll talk about anything but about Jesus. Um, When we make our stand for Christ, it changes us. It gives us a heart and a passion to be like Jesus was. It gives us a heart and a passion to live for him. He says, therefore, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way. The Christian life isn't pictured as an easy street kind of thing and you just get whatever you want and just name it and claim it and you will have it and you'll have a three-car garage and a pool in the backyard and you'll have all of the things you want. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is standing up. Next week, we're gonna get into uh, the next verses starting at verse 12 where it talks about suffering. And, and I just talked to you about what suffering looks like for us in Canada. And it really isn't very much suffering, but we're going to see it. And here's some realities. Everybody's going to suffer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer. But God's promised he'll go with us. God's promised he's not going to leave us. He's going to be our strength. He's going to be our helper. And he will go with us through whatever if you have an attitude of commitment because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And, and in verse two, where it says, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's my commitment, Lord. That's my commitment. Best I can. I'm going to find your will and I'm going to do it. I'm going to find your will and I'm going to do it. Can you say that today? Is that your heart today? Best I can, Lord. 
I'm going to find your will, and I'm going to do it. If it costs me a friend or two, it doesn't matter. I'm going to find your will, and I'm going to do it. If it costs me a business deal, I'm going to find your will, and I'm going to do it. If it costs me a promotion or a friend, I'm going to find your will, and I'm going to do it. The attitude of commitment. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 12.1 and 2, very familiar verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world. We're going to see that in just a minute. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Faithful today with our eyes on eternity has an attitude of commitment. Faithful today with our eyes on eternity has an attitude of wisdom. An attitude of wisdom. Uh, Verses 3 and 4, they say this. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. We could go through that whole list and take all of those words apart, but they basically mean what they say they mean. The first one's an interesting one. It says uh, sensuality. Sensuality means to live without any sense of moral restraint. Living without any sense of a moral compass. It pretty much just describes our society today. Here's the thing. Peter was writing that 2,000 years ago, and he made a list that's bang on what North America, what Canada, what Markham looks like today. In the book of Judges, every man did that was right in his own eyes. Every man did that was right in his own eyes. Every man did that was right in his own eyes. We see it over and over and over and over again in the cycle of the people falling and being restored. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's, that's our world. That's the world you live in. And that's the world that you're, you face every day. And, and you're caught up in to a certain extent because we are in the world. We're not to be of the world, but you face the pressures of every one of those things. And the reality of no moral restraint, it's rampant. It's rampant. And it's too available. And it occupies too much of believers' lives as well. My love for God should create a hatred for sin that gives me a passion to walk more and more in the will of God, not caught up in the things of the world. Sensuality. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. So verses uh, verses 3 and 4, there's the um, attitudes of wisdom. There are three of them. And the first one we're talking about is, I don't do what they do. I don't do what they do. 
of the things that the world does, I'm not going to do those things. So you take a look, take your eyes, put them down in your scripture and read that verse again, read verse three and see in it, is there something in that text? And it's like, man, I'm getting caught up in that. I'm getting caught up in that. No, no, we don't do the things that the world do. Come out from among them and be separate. We are new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is to be gone. The old is gone. The new has come. And so what is there on that list? And you find yourself caught up in it over and over and over again. Or as you look at the list, the Lord gives you something in your life and you're like, my goodness, I'm like the world. An attitude of wisdom says we don't do the things the world does. Christ has saved us and separated us and I'm not living for what the world offers to me in the pleasure of today or tomorrow. I'm living for what Christ offers me in salvation now and in eternity. I love this verse. I never really noticed this verse before until this week where it says in verse four, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. When you don't join the world in what they do, they're surprised. What do you mean, what do you mean you're not going to do that? What do you mean you're not going to watch that? What do you mean you're not going to cut corners on the business deal? What do you mean you're not going to lie to get ahead? What, what, really? They're surprised. They're surprised. We're to live in a different way. So the, the world that just kind of expects, well, everybody's doing it. Of course you can do it. You can do it. Everybody's, look, everybody, all, the, all your business partners are doing it. All your friends are doing it. I even know a guy who goes to another church and he's doing it. And when we stand for Christ and we don't do the things, they just expect everybody does them. They're surprised. So here's the question for you. What is it that you don't do that shocks the world? What is it that you don't do that the world looks at you and they're surprised? They just expect everybody does this stuff. But you don't. And people are asking you to give an account they're asking you to give you the, for the reason of the hope that is in you. See, just because everybody does it doesn't mean we do it. Wisdom says we don't do what they do. And when we don't, Scripture says they'll be surprised. It goes further and it says they will malign you. Some versions say they will speak evil of you. When we don't participate in the sin around us, we convict those who practice those sins and they don't like it and they'll speak evil of you. When you stand up for Jesus Christ, when you don't get involved in the things that you know that God has called you out of and into his marvelous light, 
And the end result is people are going to start saying stuff about you. That guy's just a jerk. Stay away from him. The guy's a Bible thumper. He's a holy roller. He thinks you're better. He's better than you are. All kinds of things they will say. They will seek to discredit you and all the rest because you're making your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's something else. Some people will ask you, why are you like that? Some people will ask you for the reason of the hope that is in you. And you will have opportunity to share with them the best news they have ever heard because we don't do the things the world does. Blessed are you, Matthew 5.11 says, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. On my account. One of the greatest testimonies you can have is when somebody says something about you, even something falsely about you, because of who Jesus Christ is in you. Wisdom says we don't do some of the things that they do. In verse 5, wisdom says, I don't think like they think. Look what it says. But they'll give an account of him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, we think in light of eternity. We think with the understand that everyone, everyone is going to stand before God one day and give an account. The world doesn't think like that. The world's so busy trying to get stuff for today, getting what they want and getting, getting it however they can get it. And we don't think like that. We understand that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will all come before the Lord. We will all be judged. But, but they don't think like that. They don't think like that at all. They're so busy getting their stuff and having what they want. And hey, at the end, when they put you in the box into the back of the car and take you to the grave, and none of that stuff's going with you. None of it. None of it. And after a little while, what's in the box is pretty much gone too. We're not taking any of it with us, but we're going to give an account. And we understand that and we think like that. And that's not depressing. or off. It's amazing. It's amazing for the follower of Jesus Christ because I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, Paul Whittingstall, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'm going to say, because of what he did, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, because of salvation in him alone. I was a sinner separated from you, God. You sent your son. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am saved. See, we don't think like they think. And don't expect them to think any differently. They don't understand. They're blind. They're darkened. They're dead. They need a savior. Wisdom says, I don't act like they act. Wisdom says, I don't think like they think. In verse 6, wisdom says, I don't hope like they hope. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh... The way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You see, I have a hope. And my hope is not in the stuff of this world. My hope is not in I have a nice car and I have a nice house and we got money put away for a pension. And that's where the world's hope is. Our hope is to so far go beyond that. Are those things wrong? Is it wrong to have a nice house? Is it wrong to have a car? Is it wrong to have money and a pension? not wrong for those things. But do those things have you? What's the purpose of those things? See, my hope is not in how much stuff I can get or who I can influence or uh, what my best friends are or what does my prestige look like. My hope has to be in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. 
He is our confidence. He is the one who we lean on. And I'd be less than honest if I didn't tell you that I struggle with that sometimes because I want stuff too. But it's not my hope because none of it's going with me. Having stuff isn't wrong. Lydia in uh, the New Testament was a rich woman. Lots of people in the Bible were rich. But do we use the things that God has given to, to push forward the kingdom of God? Or do we hold them tightly for ourselves and we don't share them out? And we'll see that as we uh, move forward. I, I don't hope like they hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the one who gave me salvation. And that's where my hope is. And if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, you get your hope in all the wrong stuff. You get your hope in stuff that's going to be gone. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. If you've never trusted Christ, it's not about working harder. It's not about striving more. It's not about I'm better, I do more. It's about what did Jesus do in you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved change of attitude, an attitude of wisdom. I don't, don't want the things they want. I don't think the things they think. And I don't hope in the things they hope in. My hope is in Christ alone. Well, here's the next attitude. It's found in verse seven. It's a, that we'd be people with an attitude of prayer. Faithful today with our eyes on eternity are people who have an attitude of prayer. The end of all things is at hand. Hey, the end is coming. It's coming. I don't know when it is. The Bible tells you don't try and set dates. Don't try and figure it all out. People who do that are whack jobs because the Bible says don't do it. So just don't do it. If somebody goes, yeah, Jesus is coming next Wednesday. Really? Stop it. But the end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. I love that that's one of our pillars here at Harvest Bible Chapel, believing firmly in the power of prayer. We had a prayer night on Tuesday night and a great group of people gathered together and we prayed for so many different things. We, we had a time of, of worship and a time of praise and adoration, a, a time of confession, a time to pray for the ministries, a time to pray for each other. Why? Because we believe firmly in the power of prayer. I believe what God has done in our church and growing it was because we were faithful in some things, but we decided, you know what? We're not praying like we should. And we pray for more and ask God to direct us and to help us. We got an email this week from somebody. I might be in the room. I don't know. I don't know who it is. Somebody who was watching one of our services online. It wasn't live stream. It was just something from history. Don't know who preached it. Don't know anything. And all I know is he sent an email to the church that says, today I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's awesome. When God works, because God's people are praying and asking that God would do a work in this place, that the only way we can explain it is God is doing it. We're going to have a series in the spring. 
The title of the series after the Easter series is done is Powerful Prayer, Changing Me, Changing the World. He says, you want to have a good prayer life? You want to be right with God in your prayer life? In in this verse, uh, Peter tells us, watch out for two things. He says, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. Being self-controlled speaks of the external. Being sober-minded speaks of the internal. Be disciplined with my actions, external, and with my thoughts, internal. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got a responsibility to act in ways that honor the Lord. To be self-controlled in the way that we act, but also in the way that we think, to be sober-minded. Where do your thoughts go? Where do you spend your time? And that's not always about thinking about blatant sin. It can be about the things that we're just worrying about for no good reason. Things that we are anxious about. Be anxious for nothing, but do what? Pray. But pray. And the God of peace and the peace of God, you'll find in uh, Philippians 4 if you read that text, and they will be yours. That's what God will do. For the sake of your prayers. And do you ever feel like your prayers, like they stop about the top of your head and that's as far as they go? I have that from time to time in my life. And sometimes it can be you're just going through a dry spell and you just need to be faithful in praying and be faithful in the word. But more times than not, it's because I'm not in a right relationship with the Lord. My fellowship has been broken. I'm still his son. God never leaves us. He never wipes out any of his children, not from salvation, But sometimes when we sin, and we're like, oh man, my prayers are stopping like right there. Right, well, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. It's like you put yourself on the the sideline. Deal with the things in your life so that your prayers will be heard. God loves it when his children come. He desires that we would come to him. And we need to be people of God with an attitude of, of prayer. We must give ourselves to prayer seriously. It says in the beginning of that verse, the end of all things is at hand. That's how serious this is. The end is coming. Perhaps someone you know, they won't see tomorrow. And the end for them is at hand. Be serious in your prayer. Be serious in your walk. That the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. That he would be set out in front. He would be the one who is lifted up. And then I find uh, the next verse really kind of an interesting thing. And he says, above all. Really? Above all? Above all? The next thing? Above all? I thought like prayer was like the top thing. I thought prayer was the top thing. I thought reading your Bible was the top thing. Well, they are. And there are places in Scripture that talk about how incredibly important they are. But then Peter, right in the middle of this text, he's just talked about that and talks about our prayers. And he goes, above all. Above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. This is the attitude of love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving each other earnestly. Where love abounds, sins are forgiven. Where love abounds, sin is released. Where love abounds, sin is quickly forgotten. For God so loved the world. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is the way people will know you are my disciples by how you love each other. 
When we aren't living like the world and we are loving like the Lord would have us love, uh, people see the difference. They're like, man, I, I, I got to find out about that guy. A little bit of a freak right now, but I'm, I got to find out some things about him. I want to know what's going on in his house, what's going on in his life. Since love covers a multitude of sins. If you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it 50 times you've been around here. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. None. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. Relationships with coworkers, relationships with friends, relationships with your children, relationships with uh, people you serve with in the church, relationships with your spouse. 35 and a half years we've been married. Believe me, Sue has forgiven me a lot of times. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. Well, is this verse saying we just kind of like let sin just kind of roll off our back and we don't really, love covers a multitude of sin. No, no, it's not saying we don't deal with sin and it's not saying we don't care about sin. Of course we do. But when sin is being dealt with, the heart of the believer is to release and let go and restore. And sometimes we're like, yeah, but you don't understand what they did. No, no, I don't. But I understand what I did, and Jesus forgave me. And I know a little bit about you, and Jesus forgave you. That's the heart we're to have. That's the passion that we are to have. Let it go. Love covers a multitude of sin. The attitude of love. One more attitude. The attitude of serving. Look at verses 9 and 10. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The attitude of serving. The first thing he says, if we're going to live faithfully today with our eyes on eternity, we need to show hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. I remember as a kid, we would, uh, we'd go to church and mom and dad say, we're going over to somebody else's house or somebody's coming over to our house and we're going to take care of them. As kids were like, aw, come on. Aw, I don't want to do it. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Um, we need to be people who are generous with the things God has given to us. The hope we have in Jesus Christ should give us a generosity toward one another. When we see someone who has a need, we should be the ones who are out there trying to meet the need and not with a, ah, I don't want to. No, willingly desiring to see what God will do through it. Not expecting anything out of it, just giving without grumbling. Someone in your small group needs a little bit of extra attention. And you would never say it to them, but to your spouse, you're going, oh my goodness, again, again, grumble, grumble, grumble. The people who serve in Awana and Harvest Kids in this church, they're my heroes for sure. They get to heaven, they're in front of me in line for sure. If, if I was serving in Awana, it'd be like grumble, grumbly, snotty-nosed kids. Every time I go, they give me a disease. See, I love it up here because I don't get anything from you people. I might spit on you, but you're not spitting on me. And so it's safe up here. But people who actually get in the trenches and do something and I love those people. And they get in there every week and they may not see the fruit of what they do for years and they may never see it, but they're faithful and they do it. And do it without grumbling. 
Because I know it can be difficult and I know it can be hard and I know you can want to quit. And here's what I know. People didn't quit on me. I know the Lord never gave up on me. Show hospitality to one another. And don't grumble about it. Love the fact that in a church like this, we can bless each other and encourage each other and spur one another on to love and good deeds. Attitude of serving. Use the gift you have. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good steward of God's varied grace. The gifts that we have, the gifts that we have are primarily in the church to build each other up and help each other and spur one another on to love and good deeds. Use your gift as a servant. A servant is not one who's looking for what they get out of it. A servant is there to please the master. And God has given us gifts to serve with and we need to serve each other. It talks about um, varied gifts. Um, he uses the word varied. Some of the texts or versions use the word manifold. It means grace in many colors. It's kind of like the picture of, of the uh, rainbow when the, the sun shines through the water droplets and it, you see all the varied colors. That's, that's what God has done in our church. He's done it in our church with all of the nations. We get varied colors all over the room. It's an amazing thing. But he's done it in us in spiritual gifts and given us different gifts and they're varied gifts and they're to be used to serve each other, to help each other, to see what God will do in his church. Well, so what? So what? Faithful today with our eyes on eternity. Uh, verse 11 just kind of continues on of what he was saying. But in the so what, he says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. The reason that we do the things we do is because to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, belongs, belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. What we do, we don't do for ourselves. What we do today, living for eternity, is not for us, it's for his glory. God, help me to learn that. God, help us to learn that even when I'm helping somebody out, I'm not thinking about how, what am I gonna get out of this or how's this gonna help me or how's this gonna make me look good? No, no, Lord, this is for your dominion. This is for your glory. And when he talks about the gifts, he says there are two kinds in First Peter. He says there are the speaking gifts and then there are the serving gifts. And so those who speak, if God's giving you a gift to teach or to speak, then don't propound, don't give your own ideas. Don't be out there going, here's what I think. This is what I think. This is what I, no, no, no. Take what God has given in his word and use it. Use God's word to tell the story. See, if you went home from this message and all you said was, yeah, we told a couple of cute stories and he said him and his wife fight and they forgive each other. And that, that's all you learned. Well, shame on me and shame on you. But it's about the message of the word of God. And so if God has given you a gift in which you speak, speak faithfully declaring God's word and what it says. And if God has given you a gift to serve, 
You don't depend on your own strength, but depend on the strength of the Lord so that when it gets hard and difficult, you're like, I quit. I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. Those people are so lame. I've tried and I've tried and I tried. If I make coffee one more time and somebody doesn't thank me, I don't think I'm ever going back to that church. Hey, don't do it in your strength and don't do it for you. Do it for the Lord. Do it for his glory. Do it for his dominion. And if no one ever says thank you, ever, one day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not for us. Living today with our eyes on eternity so that God alone will be glorified that he alone will get the glory. Romans eleven thirty six. for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Ephesians three twenty one. to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Revelation 1, 5 to 6, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What we do, we do for the Lord. As we serve one another, we do it with the strength God provides, the ability which God supplies so that to him goes the glory. I'll say that again. We serve one another, we do it with the strength God provides, the ability which God supplies so that he will get the glory. Faithful today with my eyes on eternity. An attitude of commitment, an attitude of wisdom, an attitude of prayer, an attitude of love, an attitude of serving. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've learned as Peter was writing to these dear people who loved you and were growing up in you. And Lord, they were going through some difficult things and he's preparing them for what he's gonna talk to them about about suffering, Lord. The kind of attitudes, the kind of ways they should think, the kind of ways they should act. Lord, give us those kind of hearts that we would be people, men and women, boys and girls, who love you, who have a passion to live just for today. Today, Lord, I will live in light of what is coming, in light of eternity. Father, it's not for us. It's for you. And just teach me that a little bit more this week, Lord. I know I'm prone to wander. I know I'm prone to fail. I know I'm prone to take my eyes off. But Lord, just teach me a little bit more to love you more and hate sin even more. So God, that you would get the glory in who I am and who we are and what your church is in this community, that we be lifted up, that you would be lifted up and your fame, your fame would go from this place. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.